your taxes, your 401k match, your health insurance. They don't know where your expenses they know, are. Exactly. They have no idea. <laughs> All they know is how much you're making, and then they're going to run your credit, credit score. score. Exactly. <laughs> you're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Welcome into this edition of the Teak Nation podcast. We have a special guest from the Grand Council for this edition of the podcast as we explore finances, something that our members are passionate about, whether it be your chapter finances or your personal finances. We are all looking to create excellence in this area within our lives, within our groups, within our families, within our organizations and our businesses. And I'm thrilled to welcome in our guest, Frater Rob Garini from the Grand Council. Frater Rob, how are you? Doing well, Donnie. Thank you very much. How are you today? Great. And as we get going here on chapter and personal finance, I wanted to ensure many of, of the members of the fraternity do know your background and your experience and your tremendous passion for our organization, how much you have given. Can you share your professional background and how much time and energy you spent working with groups so that for those listening who do not know you have a good understanding of the, the the knowledge that you're coming into this podcast with and and the information that you want to share with them. It's great to be here in uh, Jersey City overlooking the financial district as we talk about Absolutely. finance. Absolutely. But yes, I currently sit as a finance executive for Cisco Corporation out of Long Island. Roughly we do about $300 million in sales. Cisco Corp is over a $60 billion company on the uh, Fortune 500. Before that, I worked for another Fortune 500 company, Arrow Electronics. Started out as a inventory control accountant, and I've worked my way up into the CFO rank. So, you know, long, long career, very, very excited around the work that I've done in my, in my career and, and, and the ability to share a lot of these things with you guys today. Can you touch briefly upon your your experience as a volunteer as well and working with chapters? You're not someone who just had a four-year collegiate experience and then moved on to your per- professional ranks. You've also continued to be engaged working with chapters. Yes. So on my fraternity career, I went to school in SUNY New Paltz, the Sigma New chapter. I think pride and passion is a big piece of, of why I continue to do what I do. I had a Hegeman, Tom Jacobs, who was one of the most passionate and, and amazing people that taught me about the fraternity. From that point in time, I've just wanted to embrace Teak and the experiences that I've been able to gain throughout, throughout the, my Teak experience has helped me in my professional standpoint. When I graduated, I became a province advisor, and that was under Todd Farmer, who was the regional director, and Pete Dawson was actually the the GPA at the time. They gave me the ability to work in the niche of finance and help chapters around Long Island and and the, I think, New York City area in getting them with chapter budgets, with expense reports, and kind of automating some of the the processes of building financial stability in, in the chapters. When Pete Dawson became on staff, I became a GPA. And that was when I started to say, okay, how do I want my province to look? How do I want things to, to, to roll out? And the experience that I've gained in my professional career that then turned over into the fraternity has allowed me to help those chapters build province forums in the, in the form of programming, where we focus on some of the things that, quite honestly, today's educational system does not do for the everyday college student. They don't teach them how to build a budget. They don't teach them how to do taxes. They don't teach them those kind of, kind of things that are very important skill sets for every single person that they need to know. But what we wound up doing was creating these province forums that focus on life skills, experiences, and things to make every frauder 
better in their personal and professional career, interviewing skills, building brotherhood, rush events, whatever it may be, branching out into that, into the GPA world. Seeing the confidence that I put in some of these students allowed me to continue to grow and develop within the organization around being selected as a volunteer on the finance committee, doing regional leadership conferences as a facilitator, facilitating leadership academy, and then now which led to the Grand Council. Teak has given me so many things. I would tell, I'm telling you, I would not be where I am today, professionally and personally, without every single thing that I've learned from the fraternity. But I will tell you that what you put into it, you get back tenfold as long as you do it the right way. The other experience that you have now in, in being on the Grand Council for a number of years and, and rising to being the Grand Histor, many people think incorrectly that when you become the Grand Histor, that means you just work with the alumni. You send out the annual newsletter. <laughs> that's, that's actually not what Rob does. <laughs> Rob serves on the finance committee for the fraternity, which means you're part of the million budget that's annually put together, as well as you serve on the programs committee, which is critical because we're talking about finance and education, two areas that you have tremendous experience in. And just you currently serve as the chairman of the programs committee, which which oversees all of the programs that fraternity runs, including the regional leadership conference, which we are out here in beautiful New York City for. So let's get going here. First area I wanted to bridge into is the thought process of chapters operating like a business. Many times we talk about the fact that this is a brotherhood and that is where it starts. It's a people to people business. And when we're recruiting, we're recruiting people, not necessarily events. We talk about that in recruitment and many folks have listened to previous podcasts with Nick and Zach and those types of folks. And the fraternity is no doubt built around people, an aspect of the organization to ensure it has the resources to go and accomplish the things it needs is for the fraternity to operate like a business. Can you talk about that thought process, that mentality? Because at times I feel like the fraternity fights that and and the fact that we we shield behind brotherhood means we cannot operate organizationally the way we need to, to provide the resources for our members. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you as a former chapter Chrysophilus, obviously being in the accounting field, there is a business and pleasure separation that you need to be able to form, right? And I think that that is the most important skill set and trait that a chapter Chrysophilus needs to be able to have, right? And from that perspective, Treating the the chapter like a business is is extremely important, right? Yes, I understand that 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 we're all fraternal and and that we want to do right, but at the end of the day, it's a business. The experience that you get out of being a chapter Chrysophilus is unbelievable. You are managing a P and L in certain certain chapters. That's twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, whatever that that may be, and and you don't get that experience in the everyday in the everyday world. And you have to be able to make tough decisions, work hand in hand with your chapter president, and then from there, be able to develop the strategy and be able to develop a budget that makes sense within your means of your chapter. It is extremely important to manage that P&L to a perspective that is profitable to your business to make sure there is long-term success for that chapter. 
And you use the term PL, which is a very technical term for financial geniuses like yourself. For the rest of us commoners, <laughs> can you explain what is a PL? Profit and loss statements, also called an income statement. It's basically when you take your sales or your revenue or your income that, that's membership coming, dues. Yep. Membership dues that's that's coming into your organization and you're backing out all the expenses that are associated with that, whether you are having fundraising events or your rush shirts or whatever that may be, backing those expenses out of of that and coming up with your, your net income or at the end of the day, what, how much money you have left over at the end of a week, a month, however, however you guys prepare your, your statement. So it's basically revenue minus expenses equals income. And why this is critical for our chapter members that are out there listening or colony members that are out there listening is doing this the correct way, doing it in an organized way and focused and driven towards building that net income. Those are dollars that members can use to have more events, that members can use to be more engaged in philanthropy, that they can use to possibly if they need to purchase something, if they have a chapter facility or even just invest dollars for something down the road that they want to be a part of. That That's how you can bring it into real life versus many times I think this gets turned into dollars and cents and people start to shut down, not understanding this is about further experiences that they can have. And we've all been in a position, both I believe in our fraternity experience as well as our personal experience, where we've not been able to invest in experiences we want to be a part of because we don't have the finances to do it. So that's why this is critical because we have so many groups that want to invest more dollars in recruitment or invest more dollars in doing a chapter event, maybe RCB, whatever it is, The paying attention and focusing in on the teachings that you're going to give us today can allow some of those experiences to happen, which is further the reason why we're part of this great fraternity. Oh, absolutely. Can you talk about the community? Because as as we build a budget, there's also a, a deep aspect of deep tie of the campus community, as well as the community that you're a part of, how those partnerships could aid you financially. So the community is a is a big piece of what of what you do, whether it's on the national scale or whether it's at the local chapter level, right? And getting involved, whether it's philanthropies or even whether it's businesses within your community, can build relationships and can help you financially long long term. So you know, for an example, is partnering with local businesses on food or things like that will help your 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 financial statement in the long run because you're able to get better deals and work on pricing. Let that person be your sole provider and work with them because of the amount of revenue that you can generate to that establishment, right? So the community is important because A, it's building your reputation, which is another big piece of the pie, right? Being able to build your reputation, use TEAK in what is building better men for better world or things along that nature, focusing on the long-term relationships within that community. Local business owners love that. And you're, as a chapter in that university who may have been there 20, 30 years, whatever it is, using those those relationships will long-term help you. I'll use another example. The partnership we have with my local community, right? The baseball team, right? So we have multiple chapters that, that come down to Long Island. They support our baseball team. And, and it builds the camaraderie in the community to where every person in the town knows who Tutik is. And that allows Tutik to use the leverages of those businesses in my local area and get good, you know, get good publicity and get good right. deals and, and, and like things along that, that, that line. So the community is a huge aspect you know, obviously what we're doing with St. Jude. I mean, the, the community is a huge aspect into what we provide for the organization. And many chapters hold fundraisers for themselves in terms of they partner with sports arenas or they partner mm -hmm. with racetracks. 
you can you can imagine the many areas where there are concessions that are held where they can work the concession stand and get a portion of the profits that day and they utilize and supplement their due structure mm-hmm. by those dollars and those hours that are worked it, it takes creativity it also takes asking a lot of questions and many times hearing no and, and how if you want to lessen the financial burden and find in I'll put it in a financial term find additional revenue streams that's going to take time. That's going to take an investment of resources on your own self of time to have conversations with folks, to build those relationships you're talking about, and to to knock on many doors in, in some cases. And unfortunately, people think that those partnerships or relationships you're talking about with with your son's Little League team, that those things happen overnight. You've worked, right? That's as you, as you shared that. I also yeah. think about you've worked to build those relationships with some of these chapters to come and spend time watching and hanging out with the little leaguers and and now that's that's helped them tenfold but it does take time to build those relationships and, and get them to invest their time oh absolutely absolutely i mean you, you don't someone told me that if you don't ask you don't get right so you have to be able to go around and and ask and and, and you may you may be told no two three four times but you know eventually if you keep knocking on that door opportunity will come through as we Look again in the the chapter budget, the chapter infrastructure, and this I think can be transitioned to your personal life as well. One aspect that we talk about at the RLCs, and we'll talk about this weekend, is the fact that you need to build structures, and and why it is critical is that that structure outlasts you. We have phenomenal officers who are a part of our chapters, but we've seen one person is the Chryso, or let's say he's the Preetness, and he's phenomenal. If then it transitions and that person doesn't have the same skill sets, the same talents, maybe the same focus points and things, things are just going to continue on. Those structures that are built are critical to ensure long-term sustainability. Can you talk about that structure if I'm a chapter officer or even if I'm just an alumnus who's listening? What are what are aspects that I can build structure into my life or into my chapter to sustain success financially? Yeah. So, I mean, structure is basically the key to any organization. Doesn't matter what organization it is, having that structure of, you know, who reports to who and the processing controls that are all in place. Structure is is the key to, to one of the key factors of success. You know, another thing that I think is a key factor is standardization as well. Right. So being able to have a process that is uniformed across across the broad line or across the industry and being able to have everyone on the same page when it comes down to that to that key structure. Right. I know on teak.org we have the sample budgets and we have the expense forms and things like that, ensuring that every single chapter is using the tools that we have from you know that type of, of of standardization so it's all the same and uniformed and everyone is talking the same language everyone is believing in the same goal everyone is is doing what they need to do to make themselves again whether it's 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 profitable or whether it's just make themselves a better organization right having those streamlined processes is is crucial to the organization to any organization and i think that 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 teak has done a great job in ensuring that 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 is a focus point of where we're going right is making sure that hey we we're we're our, our our i's are dotted our t's are crossed and that everyone is trying to do things the same way can you share when it comes to ensuring we align the interests of the chapter to the budget, to the strategic goals that you even have. Many groups, we hope all, but many groups hold an officer retreat where they set goals for the year. How critical is it that we ensure our budget aligns to those goals? Yeah. So, I mean, 
at the end of the day, the budget is a crucial part of the discussion of getting to the goals, right? You can't really set goals if you don't know how much some of those goals are going to cost you, right? So it takes money to make money, right? So establishing those goals and getting out there and saying, hey, these are the five or six things that we want to do as an organization that is going to make us, whether it's number one on campus or whether it's the most successful organization that we can be or whether it's just striving for future success, whatever that is, you want to set those goals. But The other thing, too, is you want to keep them simple, right? You're not trying to set these goals where if you know that you're an organization of 20 guys, setting a $300,000 goal is unreasonable, right? So making sure that you set the goal and have those discussions, have the hard discussions in the room. It's okay as an e-board to not agree, but it's extremely important to align. And then once you guys get through those conversations and those discussion points, setting the fiscal responsibility around achieving those goals is just as important as setting the goal itself. And then balancing that out to, okay, say now what is achievable is the way that, that the organization strives. Having everything in proportion, I think, is crucial as well. If, if recruitment is the number one aspect of the chapter and where we're going to spend 20 30% of our focus point, that's what we should spend 20 to 30% of our budget or vice versa. We see groups who spend 75% of their budget on recruitment and only have 25% left and have 20 other goals, 20 other things they want to accomplish. Obviously that doesn't, that doesn't balance out. I think it's a very critical point you make there. We've talked a little bit about the community. We've talked a little bit about the chapter structure. Let's talk about alumni. People see, I think our chapter members definitely see our alumni as an area that they want to tap into more. And I would say a portion of it revolves around engaging with them, getting critical job skills, professional skills. There's another aspect of that, which is financial contributions and helping to supplement the budget if you're getting alumni contributions for those folks who want to give back directly to the chapter. Can you talk a little bit about the alumni engagement aspect and even ways that alumni can engage both in terms of time and treasure? So yeah, so obviously coming up through the alumni ranks within the organization, this is a topic that I am extremely passionate about. As a GPA coming through with some of you know the Northeast Ironmen who develop relationships that help build and drive the fraternity, the alumni aspect is absolutely crucial to our success. I mean, absolutely crucial to our success, both engagement and both in the monetary fashion, right? So Yes, there are a lot of things that we need to continue to grow and develop. For example, we have the best programming, the best programming of any organization that I've ever seen. I mean, the the educational perspective, the networking, the camaraderie, the gathering of everybody, it is unbelievable the amount of networking that takes place. To me, when I sit back and I come to these RLCs and I go to Conclaves and, and Leadership Academy... That just fuels my passion, fuels my pride, and, and makes me want to invest in our fraternity. And, and when I see that and when I hear about that, and it just, it just says, you know what? I'm going to sponsor two kids more to go to RLC, or I'm going to give to Life Loyalty because I understand the value proposition of what this does long term. I am an example of someone who absolutely benefited from the success that I got from this fraternity, as well as the success that I've gotten through the volunteer ranks, Right. We spoke about how I used to run a province forum, right? I gained the ability to, you know, speak in front of people, the ability to create structure and curriculum, and curriculum, schedule, absolutely, absolutely schedule to to the undergrads to to make them successful, and that's the one of the main reasons why I give back. I mean, it's a cliche to say pay it forward, but I'm an example of paying it forward because what the fraternity has given me. 
I couldn't repay the fraternity enough. I, I could not repay the fraternity enough. Any other aspects you want to highlight as we talk about chapter finances before we get into personal finances and talk specifically about ways for folks to analyze the way that they invest their, their dollars in their personal life? Yeah, I mean, as far as the chapter goes, the one thing that I, I think that you need to keep an eye on or you need to have discussions on is not just about worrying about what's going to happen today or what's going to happen this year. It's truly about the long-term success of your chapter, right? Making sure that you, whatever, whatever decision that you may make today, it may come back full circle two, three, four years from now, right? So making sure that you are working your budgets or making sure that you're, you're, you're thinking long-term when you make a decision is absolutely crucial when you're trying to create a plan for your chapter, right? It's the forward thinking, it's the strategic vision, it's, it's, the, you know, it's the forecasting, right, that absolutely makes you successful years to come and not just living the chapter one year at a time. The BOA should be involved in the budget process with the CRISO for that, for that critical reason. The, the BOA is the one aspect of our organization that should be looking year to year to year in the way that they're thinking. We say many internally, many of our chapter leaders are looking week to week. Many of our chapter advisors are looking month to month. Our BOA should be looking year to year. Please consider engaging those BOA members and making them part of the process. It's only going to create more of that buy-in that, that Rob is talking about with alumni engagement and some of the reach out that can occur to get further engagement. Before we move into personal finances, you discuss yourself being engaged as, as an alumnus and being a volunteer within the organization. Can you talk about what, what advice you would give to other collegiate members and how to reach out to alumni? Because they struggle, I believe they, they struggle with that. What are the first things I should do? What advice would you give, even all the way down to mediums and, and what platforms that they use to try to reach out and engage to alumnus? What, what are the messages that those people want to hear? Somebody between the age of 20 and 75. I mean, everyone, I feel that everyone just wants to be contacted, right? There's a lot of alumni out there that maybe you don't necessarily keep in touch with anymore or, you know, things in their lives have happened. I mean, the social media platform allows you to see what alumni are doing, right? See what they're up to. To see someone that you know was a frauder 20 years ago and has been out of touch, but he just put a post up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform that you guys are using that he just you know got promoted or that he just uh, had a baby or whatever it is. Those are avenues to allow yourself to re-engage with that person, to be able to make a call and say, hey, listen, I'm Tom. I'm, I'm the Histor from the chapter. I just want to congratulate you on, on having a baby, right? That opens the floodgate that opens the relationship that opens shows the reconnection shows that you care it shows that you care absolutely and then from there now you reestablish and you build your relationship all over again and hope they get reengaged hope they get involved and then start to have those conversations back and forth with them i think that's you know one of the big things now is that we have the ability to see what everybody is up to i mean that's Another another way, if, if groups are out there saying, well, that's that's great, I want to do that. We don't even know who our alumni are. I want to make sure that folks know they can reach out to our headquarters staff and they can produce lists for you of alumni that we have information for that live within 50 miles or 100 miles or even just hear all the people on your scroll and people who we, we have good contact information for. So that's another resource the headquarters provides to our membership if the leadership of the group reaches out looking for that information. I agree. All right, let's shift to personal finance. 
aspects that are similar between chapter finance and personal finance, I would guess we'd start with a budget. Yeah, absolutely. And the you know how you relate the chapter to your personal budget is you know how much you make from an income perspective in, in, in your job, and then you have to figure out what do you have on your expense side, right? So whether it's your rent, whether it's your car, whether it's your food, whether it's your utilities, whatever expenses that you may have, you know, your income is your revenue, your spend is your, your expenses. And at the end of the day, you have your take home. And that's what you should live to. How critical is it that you save, put money away, invest money? Those are many different theories on that. What's your personal theory? Because you're someone who I believe not only invests, you're very charitable with your contributions and also putting away money for your future in a savings account, not just in investments. Yeah, so I got some advice when I was when I was younger and it was just make sure that you save 20% of your take-home pay every single week or two weeks or whatever that is and put it into what my dad used to call an ice account, right? In case of emergency. And over time, that has been something that I've always tried try to live by. It grows and grows. And then when you get older and older, you find different ways to invest that money, right? So whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in IRAs, whatever it may be, however you do that, that is what I've lived by my, my whole career. And you started that right out, right of, col- out of college. Right out of college the and first time. I think time. That's, that's critical because that discipline, we talk about discipline and consistency in finances. I think it's more important than anywhere else in building that muscle of habits and doing that right away. So I appreciate that you got to do it right away, right? When you you get out. Yeah. And you got to invest right away from a perspective of for your companies that offer your 401k. I cannot tell you how important it is to sign up for that immediately. Especially if they have a match, right? Especially if they have a match. The full match. And I would even invest a little bit more than what the company matches to that, to that extent, right? Because that's just going to build over time. I mean, in the world today, a lot of the pensions have been taken away from a lot of corporations now. So being able to invest in the 401k, finding a company that does the matching, things like that is crucial for, for retirement. You know, as you start to develop a family, investing in a 529 is also extremely important. I mean, my wife and I put some money into into the 529 for each of our kids. So eventually, you know, they'll be able to have some college spend money for when it's their turn to go into college. It's also important as you are starting to seek out where you want to work and you're trying to match the perks up. Many times a company will pay a higher salary, but the company that might pay a little bit lower salary has benefits such as the 401k match. They might have better vacation time. They might have company. There's all sorts of different aspects too that you need to evaluate as you're going into your job search or even if you're shifting jobs. If you're an alumnus listening to this and you want to shift jobs, many many know that by now. It is something you want to continue to look at because those those perks can add up to where it is much more valuable to work for company B at an actual salary that's 10, 15K less. Absolutely. I mean, companies offer multiple different things. You know, they reimburse you for travel stipends and some don't. They reimburse you for mileages and some don't. They, they you know, whatever whatever it may be. Some cover your cell phone. Your, your, your dry cleaning. Some cover dry cleaning. Right. I mean, it's all different things. And obviously it changes the higher the level you go up within that organization. But yeah, that all equals part of your income that at the end of the day, right, you, you, you may not necessarily... $50,000 a year may go a longer way with one company versus the other in your, in your long-term personal growth. Talk about credit and student loans, any advice you would give in, in paying down student loans, as well as thought processes on building credit 
credit score is a very important piece to to all of us in our ability to to purchase items and to make investments. Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously good credit and bad credit at the end of the day, right? I mean, I'm not saying that you know credit cards are an important way of life today, right? You can't buy tickets, you can't do anything without them anymore. But making sure that that it, whatever monthly purchases that you make, just making sure that you pay that balance in full at the end of every month, right? That becomes good credit. That raises your credit score. That allows you to get better interest rates on loans. That allows you to get mortgages, cars, whatever that may be. That allows you to build up your name and your reputation. So at the end of the day, right, to banks, to whatever it is you're trying to do, your name becomes your credit score, right? So from that perspective, being able to, again, setting the budget, living within your means, and then from that point, steamrolling that into into credit. And that credit score, we talked about how if you invest your money right in the, at the chapter level, it can give you more experiences. Same same story here. Yep. It, having that high credit score can give you the opportunity for experiences, whether it's purchasing a new car or it, it, it's it's just something that you talk about in a finance and most financial folks that that number makes it much easier than dealing with emotions of whether I like Rob and I, my my bank or organization is going to invest with Rob. Yep. It's it's much easier to say, well, his number is seven fifty and and person B their number is four eighty. It's a very simple decision. So it's, it is something that we've got to continue to evaluate. There are different companies. And I know Equifax, there's Credit Experian, Karma, I believe. Yep. Credit Karma, I believe, analyzes the three credit scores Even for free. Even some of your banks now, some of your bank yep. institutions. They give you that have, credit score you so credit you can score. continue to yep. evaluate it. One thing that was taught to me when it comes to credit and credit cards is the understanding in your mind that when you're using credit card or using credit, basically you are getting the privilege of having something that you can't afford. Yep. And when you put it in that aspect, it shifts your mindset when it comes to ensuring, A, you're paying it back, but also if you even want to take on some of these items that you pay for with a credit card versus many people think, oh, I just got the card, I just swipe it, and now I get what I want. And, and keeping that thought process in mind can be helpful. Absolutely. Having that sense of control is very important. So we talked about control, discipline. Let's talk about fun, right? And, and the opportunity that having financial discipline, having financial success, building in some of this standardization can allow you to have these experiences, have this enjoyment. Talk about that. Yeah. So the fun aspect of it is I'm a dad with four kids, right? So anytime I try to, to do something, it's going to cost, it's going to cost me two, $300 just to go to Applebee's. It's called right? But my, my wife and I have done a pretty good job of, of figuring out ways to have things fun, but still be frugal. Right. So whether it's going to the local community that's having a, a outside movie that doesn't cost us anything, kids have a blast. We have a good time. Right. Another thing that we did is now we we get season passes to things, right? So we've gone to theme parks and the zoos and things like that once or twice a year that still costs us two, three, four hundred dollars when you can get a season pass for only a hundred bucks. You make that investment. And even if you go twice, it's worth the investment, right? right. We've taken, you know, we the local library and find frugal, you know, fun things to do from that perspective. How it relates to, to college, obviously taking advantage of the things that are on campus, right? Things that they can offer uh, to be able to to still have fun if you don't necessarily have the financial financial means to do some of the things that you want to do. Sounds like the advice here is to do your homework and do your research because that takes planning versus just showing up at the zoo and, hey, we want to go to the zoo today and get in the car and start driving there, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the research and the homework of what does the season pass cost and how do I go online and buy one and doing that far in front of when you actually want to get in the car and go to the zoo. I agree. Mistakes that we should avoid financially. 
So one thing is, and money spent is money lost, is, you know, keep in mind that when you are purchasing something right today, whether it's cash or credit that you can't necessarily pay off at the end of the month, once you spend it, you don't get that back. So you have to make sure that personally you're reevaluating the ROI, return on investment on what you're purchasing, right? So if you're buying a car, are you looking at a car that may cost you $300 a month but doesn't have leather heated seats and all that kind of stuff when... When the all, perks. The perks. The perks. You have to balance the perks in your life. And that is extremely important as you are looking to avoid things that maybe you can't afford or things that may haunt you down the line if you lose your job or something along that nature, right? So being smart and realizing that, you know, whatever you spend today, you don't necessarily get back tomorrow is, is important. Control your debt. I mean, and that's and then that is really one of the big focus points is Control your debt. Don't let your debt control you, right? Make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, student loans, that's something that you have to pay off. There's no you know, ifs, ands, or buts about that, right? So making sure that you control yourself. And that comes back to setting your budget, right, which is what we started about talking about when we kicked this off, is making sure that you know what you have in coming in, that you know what's going out, and at the end of the day, you are financially sound. One aspect you talked about in there around buying a car that I have heard is it's very simple to when you go and you shop for a car that they tell you, Hey, you can afford it. You make X, Y, Z, you can afford this, right? They don't take into account is the car insurance, the oil changes, the gas. what if I blow a tire, gas, maintenance, all those things, especially if you're buying a used car. And that gets into a whole nother conversation that we could do a whole podcast about how you work through buying a used car and ensuring that it's, it's from a reputable dealer, right? Not setting yourself up for failure there, but Buying a car, just like buying a house, many of these aspects, there are ancillary costs to that very simply that add up quickly if you are if you haven't done your homework and you haven't done your research and, and aren't thinking outside of just this, I could afford to buy this one aspect of a car. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, that they don't tell you is when you fill out the car application, you're putting in your gross salary, right? You're putting in your gross salary that you make, you know, 50000 a year, but that's not taking into account your taxes, your 401k match, your health insurance. They don't know where your they expenses know, are. Exactly. They have no idea. <laughs> All they know is how much you're making, and then they're going to run your credit, credit score. score. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then it's going to come down to, you know, and they'll come back to you and tell you you can afford it. And before you sign that dotted line, you go home, you know. Go home and take 24 hours and really, I know it seems excited. You're excited. You're there. You're ready to get that car, man. You sat in it. They're excited for Um, you to get that car too. (laughs) They are very excited for you to get that car. But being able to go home, take the 24-hour rule. That's what I say about any major purchase. Any major purchase that I make is a 24-hour rule. From anything from a television to a car to whatever it is, right? You see that TV? Wow, that's going to look nice. I want it. Then you go home, you're like, that's not going to fit on the, on the entertainment center or in the wall that I have. What am I talking about? Right. Or it will, but I'm going to have to buy, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to buy a new entertainment center. Yeah. I'm going to have to move this over. Yeah. Right. Avoid that impulse buy and definitely take that 24-hour rule. So you recently invested almost six figures in updating your home. How many hours did you spend in thinking that one over? Oh, well, um, considering how OCD and how much of a planner I am, it was more like uh, a year. I mean, it was... (laughs) Just trying to balance out for the listener how long you should wait. 24 hours for a television, a year for your house. You know, know, obviously we needed an upgrade, right? And we had to figure out what do we want to do? Did we even want to do the upgrade or did we want to move, right? right? I mean, those are some of the things that, you know, you're not going to make that decision 
overnight. You're going to take time and do the research. Well, what if we move to this town or that town, but our kids love the school? I mean, it's all those things that right. go into that conversation. Really great tips that you've shared in the last five, seven minutes. Any other tips that you have in mind when it comes to, to personal finance before we get headed towards wrapping up this episode? Yeah, I guess a couple of things that I spoke about, you know, saving 20% of your paycheck, you know, track your investments yourself, right? So I know that some companies, whether it's Fidelity or Vanguard or whatever, whatever they use to when you put into your 401k into the market, just make sure you track that and keep an eye on that when you get that quarterly statement sent home to you. And that, you know, if you need to move something around from stock market to bonds or whatever that is, that, that you're making those, those kind of decisions yourself and talking to those people that help you. I would also say, you know, if you're just out of school, don't wait for the perfect job. I mean, you take the opportunity, you build a network, you build your connections, and over time, the right job with the right salary, all that stuff is going to come. It's going to come. So you got to be patient. You got to work hard, you know, but don't wait for that perfect job or that when I graduate, I'm going to make six figures right away because that's not reality, right? That's out there. I'm also not opposed to taking risks. Right. I'm a big believer in a risk and reward factor. I make decisions every single day in what I do in my career based on risk and reward. If I decide to partner with a restaurant or something like that, right? do I think that maybe he's going to be there long term? I don't know, but I go to the restaurant, I visit it, I make sure that you know, there's foot traffic in there. And then if I want to take a risk, we take the risk. You know, Don't be afraid to take the risk, but do it within your means. And that's the most important thing if you do it within your means. You know, we talked about putting as much as you can into the 401k, which I think is extremely important. The other thing I will tell you is learn new skills. There's nothing more than someone who is book smart, plus street smart, and plus has a skill set. If you do those things, I guarantee you profitability in your own personal life, as well as the chapter life, will come. Those are three key factors. And build your brand, right? Your name is your brand. Your credit score is your brand. You are your brand. You know, we have built an amazing brand here for the fraternity. It's, 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 it's about building your brand and building your name and building your credibility. Who are the financial mentors that you've had in your life? And how critical is it for those men out there to find people who can be financial mentors and the types of questions you should ask? I think that's it's a very intimidating aspect of our lives in going and asking people that we respect. Would you be willing to be someone I could talk to about finances as I'm starting to build my life? Oh, I, I mean, I'm always down to help anybody at any point in time, right? I will be a mentor. You can reach out to the headquarters, get my email information. If you want to talk about anything with me, I'll be more than happy to, to help. Two people come to mind immediately when I think about who helped me. Obviously, one, my dad, right? Uh, you know, he was a blue collar worker. He wasn't anything that was, you know, exciting. He worked for Con Edison for 40 years, but he always knew how to make sure we had a house, make sure we had food on the table, and make sure that we were able to do the things that I wanted, that we wanted to do as kids. So having those discussions with him on, on how we did this or how we did that and blending that into my personal life was huge. In my career at Arrow, I was a market lead, and I had a general manager out of the Long Island office, a man by the name of Jeff Bergstein, and he was just instrumental in helping me understand at a younger age, because I was a lot younger than he was, what I should do, right, where I should go, or what I should invest in, or you know what I should look for in the market, or 
how do you see yourself 10 years from now? He would always ask me those questions. And when we would drive around to different customers or, or different cities, you know, we were having those conversations in the car. And it gets to a point to where you feel comfortable with them. You could talk about anything. And then those when a lot of the conversations and the decisions that I made personally came into play was having those conversations with those people. It's phenomenal. Any final messages that you have for our listeners out there, whether it be on the financial end, the chapter end, being a member of the Grand Council, you've had these tremendous experiences and have been a tremendous servant to our organization, a servant leader. Any final messages for our listeners out there? I mean, I would just say work hard and play hard. So work hard, develop your name, develop your, your brand, develop your credibility, make smart financial decisions, hustle. Don't, don't be afraid to work as much as you can, as long as you can. Another great example is raise your hand. I never had a problem in my career being the person who wanted more work, wanted more things to do, wanted more exposure, because what did that do? That helped me get promoted. That helped me continue to move up. And as you got promoted, comes more money. You sacrificed a little bit of fun early in your life to Absolutely. now have even more fun on the back end. Yep, yep. The only thing I got a chance to do was play softball. That was that was it. <laughs> Other than right. that, everything else, when everyone else was going to, to spring the breaks or everything else, I, I, I worked. But it's the decision I made, and, I'm, you know, and, and I wouldn't change anything. That's great. Well, Rob, thank you for your time. Thank you for, for your, your thoughts and your experience and your dedication to financial success, both in, in your organization and also in our organization, ensuring we're in a position to have those resources to be able to turn around and provide great experiences for our members. The fraternity is grateful that you are a part, not only as a member, but as part of our leadership. And I want to thank you for being part of this Teak Nation podcast. Donnie, I appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure. And guys, I love the fraternity.